Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is D. Vincent Williams. D. Vincent was born in Houston, Texas. He was raised surrounded by music in the church and taught himself how to play the guitar when he was 11 years old. By age 14, he wrote his first song. In 1995, Dee Vincent made the move to Nashville, Tennessee. Dee Vincent Williams. Hi. <laughs> it is so good to have you here. It's so good to be here. So from a man who has had songs recorded by artists like Rascal Flatts, Reba McIntyre, Kenny Rogers, Randy Travis, Jason Aldean, and Leanne Womack. That's just incredible all in itself. So let's talk about, I'm moving on, hmm. Rascal Flats. You were a co-writer on that. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that song came to be and bring back writing it with your co-writer, the story behind it. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this story a long time ago, but I think everyone should hear this story if they haven't. It's funny. Philip White and I, we talk about it now. Hard for us to remember what the story is right and what's going on. <laughs> But um, Philip and I are still super close. And one of the biggest accomplishments of that day was making a friendship that has lasted forever. I didn't know Philip at the time. But as the story goes, I was going through a really tough time. I actually had decided to, to leave Nashville and go back home and go back to school. I'd had some success and had records on the wall and had the things that were supposed to be happy and successful, but just... I was just so unhappy inside. I was in a horrible marriage. Not that she was a horrible person. It was just a a very youthful, Mm -hmm. hard, horrible marriage for both of us. And and we're trying to survive. And and then the music industry, I'm learning as it's going and seeing what's going on. And I just, it was just that point where you reach an exhausting point where you just have that talk with the upstairs and you're like, what's going on? And what am I doing? And I'm I'm not happy. And there's got to be a, a point to this. And I went home, it was on Saturday and I went and bought a plane ticket back to Texas and I planned on leaving in two weeks. And that Sunday I had my daughter over and we hung out and she's young at the time and playing and what have you. And it just, you know, it was just a awakening that I'm a dad and a father and responsibilities and all the things going on. And that night my piano was right next to my bed. I had a little setup where I would just roll around a bit and work on the work center. And I just, just really had a hard night till late, late and just really come to Jesus meeting. Got angry, got mad. Music has always been an outlet just to get it out, Mm -hmm. whatever. And for me, I just roll over on the piano after I just was exhausted and the lights were out. and, And I started playing that little melody 
And I started writing the song, and basically I was writing about Nashville. It was my bitter Nashville song. And, it, and to me, it was my, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. So the second verse was where the song started. So it was like, I've lived in this place, and I know all the faces. Each one is different, and they're always the same. They mean me no harm, but it's time that I face it. They'll never allow me to change. I never dreamed home would end up where I don't belong. I'm moving on. And it was basically about Nashville because I would dream of being here my whole life, and this is what I was going to do. And then I got here, and it was just like disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Not that I wasn't participating in <laughs> those, but it was just so much to handle, and I was just tired, just really tired. And I wrote that, and I didn't think anything about it. And then I realized it's like 4 in the morning. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to write an appointment in the morning. Oh, no, and I forgot all about it, and I didn't know, and I don't know the writer. I know it's over at Roger Murr's place. I'll just set my alarm and wake up and cancel. So I mm. set my alarm. I called about 9 o'clock, nine ten in the morning. Nobody answered. Nobody. I've only had three or four hours of sleep. I'm just like, ugh. Nobody would answer. And I'm like, golly. And I'd just gotten in trouble for my publisher about, you need to show up on time. You need to get whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be late. So I basically put on clothes and went there and drove to Murr Music and painted all my best smile I could paint <laughs> on. And I'm not and I'm like, yeah, I'm here for Philip White. Yeah, he's upstairs. And I walked upstairs and walked in this little writing room and Philip's there. And I'm like, hey, Philip, how you doing? I'm D. And he shook my hand and he just sat there for a minute and just looked at me. And I just lost it. And he just, he looked and he goes, it's cool, man. He goes, you okay? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, let's go have some breakfast. We'll talk about it. So we went to Pancake Pantry. Do <laughs> you wait in the line? That's what little <laughs> short, fat boys do. <laughs> of course, he wasn't. We were excited. So we went down to Pancake Pantry and... Philip being the beautiful soul that he is, when you know him, he is a genuine soul. And I think a lot of times without even knowing it, he has this internal wisdom to him. And I think he knew not to talk about my issue or let me ramble about it. He was kind of getting me off of it and getting me to think about different things. And he was telling me some of the struggles that he was dealing with. And his father had just been diagnosed with cancer, and we were talking about that. So it kind of pulled me off to let me know I wasn't alone in life and what have you. And we came back. Now, this is 1998, so this is before beepers and real cell phones and things of that nature. And uh, so we got back, and we kept books. And he goes, look, you're tired. You've had no sleep. Mm -hmm. Just go on home and get some sleep. We'll get another writing book. I didn't have the courage to tell him I was leaving in two weeks. So we got a book out, and as he's getting his book out, there was a little Casio-type piano there. And without even thinking, I wasn't even thinking, I just started doing that little and he looked at me, he stopped, and he goes, what's that? And I was like, oh, gosh, it's something I was doing that. That's my bitter Nashville song. And he goes, well, I got to hear that. I said, I don't even know if I can remember it just last night. So I played, and I sang that little verse, I mm -hmm. live in this place, whatever. And he just looked at me, and he goes, dude, man, we got to write that right now. And I'm like, really? And he's like, dude, I, that hit me totally different than it hit you. He goes, I know it might feel real personal to you. I said, well, if we start, we can't start with, I've lived in this place. They're all going to know I'm talking about them. Yeah. You know? And he's like, well, play it again. And I played it again. 
And his eyes got as big as saucers. And he goes, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, play it. And I played it. And he, the whole first verse, verbatim. Wow. And I'm just sitting there thinking, man, this guy's good. (laughs) (laughs) Come to find out, it was a lyric poem he had written like 10 years earlier. And it fit the music perfect. It just hadn't found its melody yet. It hadn't found it. It was crazy because it cadenced right. And he was like, oh, my gosh. And I played it. And it's like, uh, I've dealt with my ghosts and I've faced all my demons, finally content with the past I regret. Gosh, I can't remember the whole lyric at that time. Uh, Faced all my demons, finally content with the past I regret. Um, I find you find strength in your moments of weakness. But anyway, that was that whole thing. So before we even thought about writing, the first and the second verse were done. All we did was add to moving on. And we were like, he looks at me and he's wow. So we said, well, let's go somewhere different. I said, well, man, if we're going to go somewhere different, let's just go somewhere really. This needs a real shakeup here. So I did this musical thing where instead of going your typical step or step and a half up, I went full three and a half steps up mm-hmm. for the bridge and did a kind of an old school Elton John trick they did back in those days and whatever, and then pull it back into the original key at the end. And so I said, well, let's just do a bridge chorus because it's it's like a title song, kind of like the chair. Mm-hmm. So we did that bridge, wrote the bridge, and we wrote the last verse, maybe 10 minutes. Wow. And we were done. And we sat there and we listened to it. And as we're listening to it, we're laughing and we're crying and whatever. And we're and he looks at me. <laughs> And he laughs and he's just like, you know what? It's a great song and I love it. He goes, but gosh, it's never going to get cut. <laughs> he said, it's long. It's a waltz. It's preachy. It doesn't have a chorus. Everything demographically wrong, it was. Mm-hmm. And we were like, it's just never going to get cut. I said, I don't care. I just, and at that point, I still didn't tell him I was leaving in two weeks. So it was just enough to make feel good and whatever. So I went home that day. That was Monday. On Thursday, I get a phone call and it's, hey, dude, we got a cut, man. I'm like, who is this? He goes, it's Philip. And I'm like, with who? He goes, some rascal scrugs or something. I don't know, man, but it's, they're really hot and, and, and they're loving what they're doing, but they, they're cutting our song. They, they're cutting it like they're cutting it tomorrow. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, well, cool. That's, that's awesome. I, that's cool. So I got off the phone and then Mark Bright actually called a couple days later and said, hey, D, you need to come hear this song that we just cut on these guys. So apparently the album was done, and Mark Bright, and there's a whole story about Paul, the plugger. He's at, at Roger Murray Music. He's the one that pitched the song. Huh. Uh, when they were done with the record, they were looking for one more up-tempo. So when they started the whole plugging session. They, they looked said, for an up-tempo when yeah, they got yours. <laughs> no ballads. They were like, no ballads, no ballads. They had six plugs. <laughs> And he was the last one, and he, they had two songs each, and it came to his second song, and he goes, I know y'all said no ballads. Of course, but, the whole room's going, no, you can't do that. And Marty Williams is like, no, we don't need it. And Mark Bright was like, all right, buddy, if, you, if you're if you that confident, you're telling me that you're so confident in this song that you think that it'll do it. And he goes, I'm telling you right now, you need to hear this song. And apparently they played it once, and then he played it again. And his words, what I understand was, well, the boys will either like it now or like it later, but they're going to cut this song. <laughs> and so they apparently went in. So they didn't make the decision. Well, they did. 
they Link. did okay. they have to make the decision yeah. with the label and whatever but the label and from what i understand uh some of the band guys i don't know what the details were it, it never was me but the label and the man was really not on the song mm-hmm. at first mark bright was really pushing That's going pretty sad y'all song. need this you need this you need this and he pushed for it really really hard and so they did it uh and i think the end result they liked the way it came out and what have you but even then you remember it was the fourth single on the record and wasn't even going to be a single mm-hmm. but there's a whole story there because jerry house picked up on it Early on, there was apparently a caller called Jerry House and Devin O'Day, which Devin worked for Roger Moore Music right at the time. And Jerry House had the morning show, WSIX, and he was one of the only guys in the entire industry of radio that had the power to play anything you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. It was in his contract. So apparently they were doing their morning show, and some older lady, from what I understand, called and said, would you possibly play this song, this rascal played? My granddaughter's got this record. And I lost my husband, and it really helped me get through. And Devin's, I know that song. Philip White at our company wrote that on the, and he's like, well, let's play it. So they played it, and Devin tells, she said, it was like all the lights just lit up, like Christmas Wildfire. Tree. And they ended up playing it a whole bunch that day. It ended up number five on the WSIX chart before it was even released as a single. It got he picked put, by the people. He put it on the on their chart. So it was going up the charts. And of course, the label's not happy about that. They're going, You gotta pull that off. And he's like, No, I'm not I, that's what they want to hear. People have spoken. So anyway, they did then they took the album on the website and they kind of made all the songs for people to vote what song they like the best, whatever. And I'm moving on, got all these hits to the point they took it off the website. And I actually got a phone call from one of the heads of the label. I won't mention any names, but it was one of the top guys. And and he basically called and said, just want to let you know, I know there's a lot of excitement around town about moving on and what have you, but I don't think we're going to release it as a single. And I just wanted to tell you personally, because I didn't want to let you down, you know, that, and the reason was this, it's just not the direction we really see these guys going. They're more of a, this is when Lyric Street started, mm-hmm. Disney and what mm-hmm. have you. It seems like it just might be a little heavy for what we're doing. I said, look, I'm just happy to be on the record. I, I appreciate it. And then he called Philip too. And Philip said, did you get on going? Yeah, I did. So there was definitely a stir going on. And of course, Jerry being Jerry, he's just, <laughs> I always give him the credit because he was the one, he would end his morning show with, well, now we're going to end with the greatest song written in the last 15 years <laughs> just and do it again just to, but it caught on. And when it caught on, then Lyric Street decided to test it. And when they tested it, it tested off the charts. Yeah. So they asked us to actually come in and help with some of the radio stuff in Texas because Texas was really struggling to play it. A lot of people don't know it wasn't a number one record. It went to number two, number three, I believe. Texas wouldn't play it because they weren't a big fan of Rascal Flats. They were more in the Texas scene at that oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Texas they country. Up, he would hate yeah, that. <laughs> but they ended up adding that after it was falling off the other charts, and it went to number one on all the Texas charts, too. So, But it was on the charts for 54 weeks or something. It was like a really long time. Then it was nominated for Song of the Year, and we weren't it supposed won. to win at all. And we went down there to Vegas, and it won Song of the Year. And I just... Did that change your life? Yeah. 
it changed my life and Phillips in such an interesting way. That whole story is so crazy too, because we weren't expecting to win. And then when we did, if you watch the video, you'll see it's going up there. And I almost trip on the last step. And because I tripped, because I saw that one half of the stage over here was painted particle board. And I thought, oh my God, it's all smoke and mirrors. I've been wanting to get on the stage my whole life. It's crazy. So I'm walking up it's on stage. It's the music industry. I'm walking up <laughs> on stage and, and I got Penn and Teller looking at me and they got this look like, don't say nothing. Just, just come on over. And so you got Penn and Teller and they give you an award and, and, and of course, before we get done, Phillip's like, you know, D, if we have everything's slow, if we happen to win, man, I'm, I'm just going to say a couple of things. I want you to, this was a big, you know, and Philip, don't worry about that. Probably not going to win anyway. It don't matter. Don't, don't worry about it. We get up there and we win and whatever. And, and then he gets up and he starts talking and he didn't have his glasses on. So he couldn't see the pop or what's going on. <laughs> and he's up there and he's going, yeah, I just want to thank my mom, my dad, and, and my, my coach for, for, uh, uh, all those years did and it's just he just doesn't do anything fast so he kept it short but in his short as he's finishing it's three two one music zero <laughs> i get up and he goes hey d and the music starts to play and i said hey just one thing i just want to thank my one and only family warner chapel music thank you so much everybody whatever what i didn't realize was all my families watch it and they hear my one and only family warner chapel <laughs> And of course, family doesn't understand. So I'm just, I'm striking out everywhere. And we get done and they take us in the back. Of course, we're going through cattle and, and of course, we're songwriters and nobody really cares. So we go through all the media and the television and the stuff and they pass us along, whatever. And there's a couple of stops. We finally get to the back and we're sitting there. There's a little girl by the exit door. And as we're sitting there, Philip looks at me and tear gets down. He first says, I'm so sorry. I said, Philip, stop it. I said, and he looked and he goes, can you believe this? I said, no. And just about that time, we hear the crowd go, wow, and realize another award happened. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I guess as the song says, it's time to move on. Huh? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, let me, and he turned around and he asked that young lady, he goes, ma'am, can we step outside and just smoke a cigarette outside here? Call our moms. Sure. She opens up the door. So we're out there in this dumpsters where, the trucks come in and whatever. And mm-hmm. I call my mom. He calls my mom having a cigarette and sitting there talking. All of a sudden, this is this is going to blow your mind. This is just how bizarre this day was. All of a sudden, I hear this voice behind me going, is that your mom? And I turn around and it's Wayne Newton. <laughs> and Philip looks at me and he goes, oh my God. And I said, mom, hold on. It's Wayne here. <laughs> and I hand to Wayne and he goes, you must be so proud of your son right now. What a great accomplishment be going on, whatever. And we're talking to me and Philip. We're looking. And he's hey, Philip, hey, congrats, guys. Way to go. And we're just like dumbfounded. We don't, and as he's starting to leave, we're like, I think Philip looked at him and said, Wayne, what are you doing back here by the dumpsters? And he goes, boys, when you've been in the business as long as me, you learn it's always by the dumpsters is the easiest way in and the easiest way out. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that's great. True story. Crazy. Well, you know what's really funny about that song? When I met you in 2013, 14, I told you this story. I'm going to share it again because it's great for people who are listening. That song affected me, but in a bad way. Let me tell you why. Uh (laughs) You ruined my chances for something, Uh D, just so you know. And I just recently um, interviewed Jeffrey Steele. Yes. And his song 
My Wish. My Wish. One of my favorite songs in the yeah, world. Yeah, great song. That's what I thought too. I was trying out to be senior singer for my graduation at mm-hmm. high school. I came in with My Wish because that's an appropriate graduation song if you ask me. Yes. I don't know. No offense to I'm moving on. Yes. But not really. Okay. <laughs> okay. Pretty depressing. And a guy comes in who is a nice guy, not here to hate on him, but he sang that for the graduation song. And we were trying out for it, by the way. Mm-hmm. And his dad was a teacher at the high school. And mm-hmm. they came out with some sob story that the teacher was retiring. So his son has to sing the graduation song. So they pick your song, D, over <laughs> my wish. Okay. And I'm like, what are you kidding? you hearing this song? My demons, this, that. What is this? What high school experience did you have? I liked high school. What is this? So my dad goes, my dad never goes to the principal's office, by the way, ever. Brings both lyric sheets in. Both Rascal Flatts songs. Doesn't say what's what. He gives and he goes, what song is a graduation song? And then the principal goes, oh, well, clearly this one. And it's my wish. She goes, well, that's not what your senior class is going to hear on graduation day. You know what's ironic? Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, this, this is it a graduation song? For two years in a row, it was the number one graduation Stop! song in America. But how? Not only that, not only that, this is what's crazy. It was also the number one prison release program song. Wow, and those it was correlate also, well, huh? And it was also the number one 12 step program D. during that time i'm like how did that even happen and there was a, somebody was doing an art one time and said how did you write that in such a way that it, it has a positive message of I, moving on and going forward but it also has this negative message of of design whatever and me and philip were like brother we are not that smart that was clearly an accident listen, <laughs> we it was your bitter national song and it's my bitter high school graduation song so i can tell you <laughs> And I get to, this is hey, what's you know what? fun. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take anything you get. <laughs> you know what? That's what's fun about I remember doing Phillip, this. Philip said, which I always thought was great. Well, somebody asked me one time, how do you write a song like that? And I said, well, first you completely screw your life up. That's a good start. But yeah, I don't want to write that song yet. But Philip said, uh, we didn't write it. We just wrote it down. Oh. And I always remember that as, as that's about as true a statement. That's great. If there was ever God at work, and I always tell, when, now I use it in, in when I do uh, artist development with songs and what have you, and it's actually used in Berkeley School of Music as a song to show them different patterns and wow. different ways, structure, because the structure is different. And that, but I'll use it as a, as a point of that was when I learned the difference between being a songwriter and writing a great song. Mm-hmm. Being a songwriter, you can learn. Anybody can learn to rhyme. Anybody can learn to structure. Mm-hmm. Anybody can learn to rhythmically put things in order. Mm-hmm. Yes. The pain, the honesty, the sincerity, the vulnerability that great songs, they have to stir an emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I always say moving on was the greatest songwriting lesson I ever got wow. from upstairs about don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Because in your vulnerability, you're going to find that not only are you not alone, but a lot of people are going to find themselves in your music. Mm-hmm. One of my heroes, Steve Warner, who I got the chance to work with and write with, and when I had asked him for advice as a young artist in town, he said the best advice he had was, Dave, when you're on stage, you don't want the audience to look at you and go, man, he's great. 
you really want the audience to look up and go, wow, that's me. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you can do that, then you're hitting the right sure. tones of, of what goes on. So now with our new company that we're doing, it's all about taking young talent and, and slowing down, get to know who you are. The world needs it so bad right now. Don't rush. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up in red carpets and money and, and fame. It's That's all. Trust me that fame is, is hard. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a pain in the rear for a lot of people that are famous. I'm fortunate to know a lot of famous people and fame has a huge responsibility comes along with it. And it's very evasive to your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things you can't do mm-hmm. when you're famous mm-hmm. and uh, it, it balances out. Life is still life no matter what happens. But when you're on that creative level of creating music or creating that, that vocal performance for a song or whatever, man, just, don't be afraid to be 100% and, sure. and just don't follow lead. Mm-hmm. Don't let nobody tell you what you are and what you're not. Just dare to be great. Absolutely. Just dare to be great. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours, 